Welcome to BizBytes, brought to you by Com Together, helping businesses like yours build their brand through telling amazing stories to engage and grow audiences on multiple platforms. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of BizBytes. And uh, my guest today, Chantelle Lavazetta, she and I have known each other. I get off and on for a number of years now. And uh, I'm so excited to have her as a guest because we just, I know how much we resonate in terms of our approaches to things, even though she's in sales and I'm in marketing. And uh, I know that there's a whole lot of areas that she covers. And I think the best way of doing, uh, of finding out all of those different areas is to allow her to introduce yourself. So Shondell, welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Anthony. It's so great to be here. So yes, my name is Shondell Abazetta and I'm the CEO uh, and um, of Life Puzzle and also a master trainer of neuro-linguistic programming. Uh, and we believe that uh, sales and business success uh, yeah, follows the 80-20 strategy of 80% psychology, 20% strategy. And we get a real kick out of helping people to bridge the gap between those things uh, and sell with integrity, sell with authenticity, without all that sleazy, gross, you know, pushing people into a corner, buy or die mentality. So uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. And I I love all of that because um, as someone who's in marketing, uh, we're perennially... Um, I guess scared of sales is probably the, the the one way of saying it. And it's and I've always found that's a really interesting thing. There's so many different organizations that I've been I've seen over the years where sales and marketing really talk to one another because there is this sort of divide between the two. And I think it comes from a lack of understanding and a lack of clarity in that. But it's also that kind of it really is a lack of understanding of how different in some respects those two areas are, yet. I'd have to comment and say that you know you and I follow follow each other on on LinkedIn and have done quite closely for for a long period of time, and the amount of times where I've sat there and thought she's in my head and you're in my head because we've we've kind of written along similar lines completely unprepared and uh, and gone we're saying very similar things and that's what I love about the approach that you take with it. Yeah, thank you. And I think, you know, you're right about the the correlations and, and also the key differences. And one of the things that we spend quite a bit of time educating the clients on is that, you know, ultimately your, your you know, your marketing is about bringing people to the door, the right kind of people, the ideal clients that you really want to work with. And sales is effectively helping them walk through it. And I think sometimes people can confuse the idea of their sales with their marketing and their marketing with their sales. And they are really two different skill sets and when they work together swimmingly then that just creates amazing results in you know generating leads of the ideal people that that are fitted for your business or your service or your product and then you know creating customer delight as you you know sell to them and onboard them into your products and services so I think it's a really key distinction that you make there. And I think one of the keys as well is that um, you know I talk about from a marketing point of view of very much about authenticity and, you know, be bringing out the real you. And I love that that clarity in communication is very much fundamental to what you do as well, where, as you said at the beginning, there's a lot of people who go into that real sales speech and it's just, you just cringe when you hear it. And I, I can't believe that how many people would fall for something that is so obviously a sales pitch. 
Yeah, look, I think it's really interesting because I call I, I call it the itty-bitty shitty committee. So they're the group of people that sit on people's shoulders and tell them why they can't have what they want. And I think for a lot of people, because of experiences that they've had in sales environments, they they have a lot of uh, emotional hang-ups about sales. Some people have challenges around asking for money. Some people feel like they're being a burden. And so it just takes away a lot of congruency from the sales process. And people start acting in ways that are not authentic or congruent with themselves. And one of the things, I, I published a book called Confident Closing, which I you know, love to give to uh, anyone who's listening that would like to access it. And it's called Confident Closing. But when I originally published the book, I wanted to call it feeding salt to horses because we've all heard the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. But if you feed it salt, by the time you present it with the water, it's thirsty and it makes sense to have a drink. And so I think that the sales process when done really elegantly is ultimately about finding out what is the salt of the people that you, you actually really need to connect with and how can then you really elegantly lead them to the water so that they can have a drink. And it just makes sense to, to say yes, because it fits the needs and, and there's a congruent interaction that goes on. So I, we're definitely all about uh, authentic authenticity as opposed to, you know, how can I squeeze you into this mold that uh, that doesn't fit? <laughs> exactly. And I, and I know something that we've both written about uh, several times is around the listening to people as well, because I think that, and that talks to that salt idea is it's this, it's listening to what the, the symptoms are, what, what are they trying to, what problems are they trying to solve in terms of their, particularly their wants and needs. And I think too often what happens is is people decide that, well, I've come up with this idea for a product or service or whatever it is, and I'm going to sell it to you whether you want it or not, whether that's yeah. the, you know, they haven't necessarily done that groundwork to find out well, what is it that people really need. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that that's where the marketing and sales connection is just such an important uh, an important connection to make because, as you said, it's about researching and finding out, well, what are the pain points and, and what is the opportunity here for this person to actually relieve the pain points or actually get a gain on the other side of the interaction. And if you don't speak to that messaging properly, then you're already behind the eight ball. But then when it comes to the sales process, so sometimes marketing can get that really right and then the salespeople don't follow up that message with the same uh, efficiency and they're so focused on uh, perhaps the wrong selling points. Like I see lots of people uh, pitching in a way where it's all about them and how interesting they are and how much experience they've had and these are the projects and this is how great we are, uh, when in a lot of the time people actually don't want you to vomit their solutions all over, or your solutions all over them. What they really want is they want to know that you connect with what is the thing that is the challenge for them. And so often when we're teaching, in fact, last week I was in Auckland, I was delivering a presentation uh, to uh, about 200 recruiters. And one of the things we were talking about was this very concept of vomiting solutions on people. And the example that I often use is that if I come up to you on the street and just hand you a Band-Aid, then you might look at me and say, thanks, crazy Band-Aid lady, why are you giving me that? Whereas if I actually highlight that I've seen that you've got a paper cut, it's bleeding, you have a white shirt, you might I don't want you to get blood on your shirt, et cetera, what I've actually done is I've actually pointed out to you the fact that you have a need for this actual Band-Aid. And so then the reception to me offering the Band-Aid as a solution becomes a little less creepy uh, and also 
offering a solution to a problem that you can actually see now. So I think that's just so important. And, and that is that connection between that sales and marketing piece and getting that transition right. Yeah, I think too often it, it is, you know, people do just um, thrust upon you. I mean, I, again, using LinkedIn <laughs> as an example, the amount of times I'm sure you see it as well, that you get these connection requests from people and they basically spill their resume and tell you to use their services and you go, I haven't even met you yet and you're, yes, you're selling exactly. stuff. Um, but I found it, look, I had a sort of a, um, done some work in the not-for-profit sector over many years. And I find that, that that same idea translates across to there because what often happens is not-for-profits set up to do a particular task and they then they go where the funding is. So someone with some money turns around and say, and I often use this example and say, well, we set up a charity to look after, you know, um, tables. And someone comes and says, well, we've got some money for three-legged chairs, and they go, well, four-legged tables, three-legged chairs, we could probably do the same thing and we'll go and grab that money and we'll, and suddenly they've drifted away from their actual thing. And the problem is on both sides. One, they've drifted away and two, the people that have said that there's a problem with three-legged chairs haven't actually looked to find out if there is. They've just said that that's what tickles my fancy. And I think often in business they're doing the same thing, that they've created something and and I think we've all been guilty of it. We've created a, created a product or a service whereby you think that people are going to want it and you try and sell it to them. And then it takes a while to realize that actually that's probably wasn't the product that was right for these people in the first place. Yeah. The thing that comes to mind is nobody thinks their baby's ugly. And I see it with business owners all the time. You know, they, they create these pro these products and these services that they think are absolutely gorgeous. And yet no one in the marketplace actually connects with what it is. And so the only person that loves it is the business owner. Uh, and I think that that, you know, that's exactly what you're talking about there, where, where people disconnect from what their clients really need to, to what they want to sell. And that doesn't necessarily always marry up if you don't do your homework on that yeah and i know it's certainly from a marketing perspective it's one of the core pieces of work that i do initially with with businesses is sitting down and and you get to the point where you're looking at those wants and needs of, of different personas and really understanding it and i think that fundamental idea is saying well as as well that that and this is where the marketing and the emotional side comes in which is a bit like your i think the the marketing version of the 80 20 is is a 90 10 90 emotion 10 percent justifying the emotion and i think yeah. they feed in nicely to one another and it's a bit like look i need a car to get me from a to b but I want the Mercedes. I want the, you know, the this and the that and the extras. I don't need it, but I want it. And that's what, you know, from a marketing perspective, you're feeding into that emotion. And there's an expectation around the needs that you're going to deliver that. It's the extra stuff that you really have to tune into. And that extra stuff has to be emotive and grab people. And if you get that wrong, you're not going to get to the sales process. Yeah, 100%. And as part of our sales training, we often will talk about human beings and the fact that we have a subconscious mind and uh, we often call it unconscious because most people are, are unconscious of their subconscious. And we live 90% of our lives unconsciously. It's the domain of all of the emotions. And so we often say that people will buy emotionally and then justify logically, as you said, and it's 90% unconscious and 10% conscious. And so, you know, a lot of sales professionals are going out there and even to a point, some marketers are 
going there looking for, you know, what is the justification? What's the reason? What's the logic as opposed to actually connecting with what's the emotional driver um, and, and, we're leaving 90% of, of, of the conversation on the table when we're only talking to the conscious mind or to the logical, rational mind. Yeah. And I think, uh, and I, I love where you're going with all of that. And I want it, that's why I wanted to pick up on a point as well that I think, you know, in your introduction, you talk about the, the um, sales area, but uh, and I've got to make sure I get this right. The neuro-linguistic programming side of things, because that yes. feeds into what you do, right? That has a very big impact on the way that you present and all of the things that you do. So tell me a little bit about that, the background of that and how you got into that and, and what the impact is. Yeah, look, it's a, it, it's a very interesting story. I'll give you the the high level overview for the listeners today. But it, I my background was in sales and and also marketing, predominantly business development and selling though. And uh, over my career, I did everything from your transactional sales, uh, where you make 150 cold calls a day to get 10 appointments the following day, all the way up to selling you know large multi multinational sponsorship deals that were multi millions of dollars and took you know somewhere between six and eighteen months to actually come to fruition. I manage sales teams, et cetera. And one of the reasons that I started getting curious about neurolinguistic programming was because it's an art and science on how we use the language of our mind in order to affect our results. And for me, I had uh, always a really strong willpower. I was uh, very connected to serving my clients and getting good results and very driven by advancing my career for many years. But if the mark of a good job was here or above average was here, then my expectations of myself were generally up here. I'd fall short uh, and then beat myself up for being a failure. And so um, often I would, I, I would uh, you know, dust myself off and say, oh, I just have to work harder, do different things, and I'd keep going. But I always had that itty-bitty shitty committee sitting on my shoulder to a point where eventually I had what a lot of people would call a professional burnout or a nervous breakdown, and I sort of gave up. And despite the fact that I'd had great success, I sort of decided that I'd tried everything and it was too hard and that I was going to give up. And look, at the time, uh, I'd had a mentor when I worked at KPMG who had told me about neuro-linguistic programming and uh, at the time my uh, co-founder um, and my mum was actually looking for a transition out of her career. She'd owned hairdressing salons and she'd been in the hair and beauty industry for years and she said, oh, you know, I think I'm going to make people beautiful on the insides of their heads now, not so much on the outsides of their heads. So she went off to go and do a training and my mental health was in a very precarious state at this particular time. And so she asked me to go with her. Uh, she said, come on, it'll be fun. We'll go into state and we'll have a girls weekend. And this particular um, uh, course that we attended was a, uh, a pre-course into learning more about NLP um, and it was really quite transformational because I'd engaged in lots of different uh, elements and support to try and help me with my mental health challenges, but I, I hadn't had much traction in terms of getting su success. And when I learned about NLP and the way that our minds are wired and the way that we bring emotions into our decision-making and all of those sorts of things, the way we act, the way we behave, I was able to get a transformation. And I, I can honestly tell you that, uh, you know, I've not had any relapses in my mental health in nearly 20 years that since I, I've conducted or since I went through that training process. So one of the main reasons that I was curious about learning about NLP, though, was because I knew that sometimes I could have a sales conversation with someone over here and the conversation went really well. And then I'd replicate that script or that not so much script, but that kind of pitch to someone over here. 
and it just didn't land in the same way and it wasn't as successful. And so I realised that there was nuances between the way in which people make decisions, the way in which they, the ways in which they interact, et cetera. And so it actually forms a really big part of the way in which we teach because it's not a one-size-fits-all situation and even people who are in the same verticals or they may have common problems, the way that they react and respond to those things is different. And so the nature of the way in which you can read situations and and to question and to understand. And so that was the basis of the book. So when I learned NLP, I took those skills back into a corporation. I was hired as a national business development manager and I worked with the team to teach them some of the concepts in NLP in terms of reading people's behaviour, understanding how to make them feel most comfortable what, how to decipher which is the right information to present to that person based on what their needs are. And we actually grew a business by 400% in just six months doing that. So our targets were to actually double the business in a 12-month period, and we way exceeded those targets and, and built and, and grew the business by 400% in six months. And so from my perspective, I think that there's a couple of really key things where neurolinguistic programming will assist in the sales process and one is to be able to understand the nuances between the differences in your in your customer engagement to be able to ask great quality questions and ascertain different information that you wouldn't normally see um, and then of course it the, the biggest part is about the mindset of the salesperson and so a lot of people often ask us why why are we called life puzzle when we do sales training and leadership training and communication training and anthony what we say is that sales is the number one life skill and that there are three important sales that we make. So the first sale is the sale you make to yourself about your worth and your value. And if you don't nail that sale, then you're going to project that in the way that you try and, and, and get your goals. And they don't just have to be sales goals or winning business. In It could just be anything in relation to career development, you know, getting a great relationship. If you don't sell yourself that you're worthy and confident and you're capable, then it becomes really hard to be congruent in the activities that you do to go after that stuff. And of course, Absolutely. the second sale, yeah, hundred percent, right? And so it's that imposter second- syndrome as well, isn't it? That that, that yeah. feeds into so many people, and it does happen. It it does happen at all levels. It's yes, it's a business thing, but it does happen on a personal a personal level as well. And you see it. I think seeing it even increasingly in younger generations that are impacted even more by what they're seeing online all the time, and and um, because their environment is much greater than perhaps where we grew up in a very uh, you know, without the online stuff. So our, our, our community was much smaller than what theirs is. And uh, it, it's a big, it's a big issue, I think. And it is a key thing to get right. Yeah, 100%. And so that that self-confidence and that ability to be able to generate self-confidence, even when the environment is not necessarily supportive, because obviously there's lots of cancel culture, uh, there's lots of, um, you know, challenges with social media and that online presence, as you said, you know, so sometimes we may not necessarily see all the things that we'd like to see in those platforms, but the ability to actually generate that self-confidence, that sense of worth for oneself, it just helps you fire that itty-bitty shitty committee. But then there are there are two more important sales. The second one, the second sale is the sale of influence. And what a lot of people don't realize is that we're all in sales. Um, if you're a parent, then you're selling your child to go to bed at night, you know, at the time you want, not what time the child wants. Or you know, you might might be having uh, 
influential discussions about when we need to get our homework done by. So, you know, we, we have sales conversations with our teams when we're, we're getting our teams to enroll in doing something in the, in the workplace. Uh, and so we're not, we don't always have to transact products or services in exchange for money to be influential in our conversation. And so that's an important part of can you actually communicate what you need and to be compelling in that, to do so with a sense of authority and integrity that someone says, yes, I want to buy into your idea and I'm going to go ahead and, and follow that instruction or follow your advice. So the third sale is obviously the one that we're all familiar with, which is the transactional sale. But those first two play such a huge role in terms of how well you communicate the value proposition of your product or service and what you're selling it for at, 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 a, at the appropriate rate, uh, you know, selling it for what you're worth if you're a service, if you're selling a service, making sure that you're not discounting if you have products, et cetera. I think that's such an important part around the way in which neurolinguistic programming, our mindset plays into the way we actually conduct ourselves from a selling perspective. Absolutely. When it comes down to that worth area, it really is interesting. I many stories that I've heard over the years and some that I've been a part of where um, you find you price it at a certain level thinking, well, that's reasonable. Surely I can't charge more than that. And you find that it's actually in that area where people go, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's not expensive. It's probably, it's probably too expensive for a cheap product. And you've put yourself in that category, whereas you up it, and I've seen that, I've been part of it, where you where you up it, you almost get to double it. Uh, and in some cases, I remember hearing of an organisation a number of years ago where they missed out on a particular contract and they were told afterwards the only reason why was they should have put a zero on the end of what they charged and uh, and they would have got the gig. There was just a feeling that because they were charging so little, they weren't going to do a good enough job. And if they've literally offered to do exactly the same thing with the same personnel and the same outcomes, but put another zero in the end, they'd have got the, they'd have got the, goal, uh, the, the job, So, which is a hard thing to take uh, when you're looking at it in, in, in retrospect. BizBytes is brought to you by ComTogether for all your marketing needs so you can build your brand, engage audiences on multiple platforms. Go to comtogether.com.au, follow the links to book an appointment for a free consultation.